This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. I woke up with a feeling of unease, and through my sleepy haze made out the figure of a large man standing at my window watching me sleep. And Evan banged on the door. He shouted that someone was in the garden. The screen of the window furthest from me across the room starts shaking violently. From disturbed media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Thanks to the fun and challenging Best Fiends for supporting Disturbed. Best Fiends is the binge-worthy mobile puzzle game. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will surely make you lock the doors. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from an anonymous Reddit user featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas, and we make sure to double check the windows. I've done quite well for myself as an adult, but when I was younger, we were very poor. In middle school, I lived in government housing projects that were like little one-level apartments with two apartments sharing a wall each, all spaced apart. There were woods directly behind the cluster of apartments with no gate in between, but no one ever went into the woods, which I learned the reason for due to this incident. These apartments were very poorly made, and the windows could easily be popped in and out, never mind a lock. The front door was somewhat sturdy, but with a good kick, it would have easily been opened. My dad was a pretty stocky bodybuilder type, so I had a false sense of security and would leave my window blinds open at night as my room faced some trees that would blow in the wind. I loved nature and wasn't afraid of the dark, so I liked watching the trees as I fell asleep. Our apartment's front door was facing the woods, as was my friend's behind ours, with our building blocking their view. As you walk in the front door, the hallway is on the left. My room was at the end of the hallway on the right. My big window that took up most of the wall was on the left, and my bed was sideways facing both walls so I could lay on my side and watch the trees. The woods were about a field away facing our front door, so I couldn't see it from my room. This was just a small area of trees and vegetation. One night, I woke up with a feeling of unease and through my sleepy haze made out the figure of a large man standing at my window watching me sleep with total confidence, not caring at all if he was seen. He was in a big coat and looked quite burly and average to taller in height. It was black in my room and outside, just barely illuminated by moonlight. I had just cracked open my eyes and I froze once I realized what I was seeing. 
I kept my eyes as closed as possible, just enough to peer at him in the darkness, and literally rolled out of my bed to the side not facing the window and shouted for my dad who was across the hall with both of our doors open as I crawled out. Not the smartest, but I was a dumb 12-year-old. He hadn't gone to sleep yet and was in my room in a heartbeat as the guy took off. He went to run out the front door yelling threats as well, which probably wasn't smart, but the guy was gone. I truly believe he never came in before or after this just due to my dad's sheer size and build, but I'll never know. A few nights later, I was spending the night at my friend's, who lived directly behind us with the same layout. Her room was the first room on the left, with her window facing the woods slash our apartment blocking the view. Her sister's was the second on the left, and her mom and toddler sister were in the room on the right, like mine in my own apartment. We finished watching Dave Chappelle and went to do one another's hair in her room, with her older sister helping us, while her mom and little sister went to bed. Not long after, we heard screaming from her mom's room and heavy stomping feet. Her older sister swung open the door to the room we were in, and there was just a flash of a huge white man in his 30s to 40s running down the hall towards the living room and front door, and her mom behind him with a butcher's knife hacking at the air and screaming bloody murder. The dude flew out the door and towards the woods while her mom locked her door and called the cops. This man had the audacity to pop open the window and crawl into the bed that was pushed up against the window just slightly under it, not realizing this woman was a whole Amazon warrior who slept with a butcher knife and would clearly wake up to protect her baby. She was quick and slashed at him, though I'm not sure of the damage since I was ushered home directly after. The cops went looking into the woods for him and found him and another man quite similar to him living and hiding out there together. They were also responsible for a call from a frantic mother whose little girl had been taken that day as well from our housing units, and they found her with those creeps. She had been there all day and night with them and was around three to four years old. They were taken to jail, and that's the last I heard of it, as the adults in our lives wouldn't let us in on their adult conversations. That poor little girl was probably traumatized, and I hope she's been able to heal. I can't imagine what could have happened if my friend's mom hadn't been so quick and slept with a weapon, or if he had decided to fight instead of run. I still don't understand why he didn't try to overpower her, but it's possible she injured him. After this, my dad explained to me how sometimes drug addicts or homeless people would hang out in these woods. So, to the creepy dude who liked to peep and kidnap, let's not ever meet again. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystory at disturbedpodcast.com. Next up, we have an email submission from Dan, featuring voice work by Elvin Balling III, and we discover the man in the greenhouse. The place where the story unfolded was my best friend's house. Mine and his parents were dear friends, and just like every year, they went together on vacations. That summer, Evan broke his leg just a week before the trip, and I offered to stay with him. 
just so our parents didn't have to give up their plans. His family had an enormous garden and a few greenhouses, so I had to help with that. Evan's neighbors on one side were two men, Michael and his husband Bertrand. Bertrand was in his 30s and was very easygoing and kind. And his husband was the grumpiest, most egocentric person I have ever met. Neighbors on the other side were Sabine, who was the definition of a trophy wife, and her ever-absent husband, who was traveling the whole of Europe for his work. I drove our parents to the airport in the afternoon. Of course, they demanded to be there three hours before check-in, so I waited with them for a bit. When I finally parked my car in the driveway of Evan's house, the sun was almost setting. I worked in the greenhouses, watered the plants in the garden, and then we went inside the house to make some supper and watch a movie. It was after midnight when I went to take a shower, and Evan was fixing himself some late-night snacks. Suddenly, I heard Bertrand's dog barking fiercely, and Evan banged on the door. He shouted that someone was in the garden. I guessed it wasn't this much of a deal. Local teens had literally nothing to do in our town all summer, and sometimes they would start stupid challenges of sneaking into people's backyards from the side of the forest without getting caught. And I suspected it was one of such challenges with Evan's backyard as the target. I went downstairs and out of the house, ready to chase these little shits back into the forest. Of course, the backyard was dead silent. Bertrand's dog stopped barking and was only whimpering quietly on the other side of the fence. That confirmed my suspicion that someone was still out there. I turned on the flashlight app on my phone and started walking across the property. I heard a quiet snap coming from the direction of the greenhouses. I headed there, and when I was a few meters from the first one, I directed the flashlight at the glass walls. A tall, hooded figure was standing on the other side of the greenhouse. I was sure it was a man, very broad in shoulders, well-built, and surely not a teenager. I immediately lost my belligerence. I felt simply scared. Who are you? I asked, trying to stop my voice from trembling. This is private property, and you have no right to enter it. Leave before I call the police. The glass walls of the greenhouse were fogged, so I didn't see him as clearly as I would like to. One moment I was looking at his face, hidden by the large hood, and the next I saw him run to the other side of the property and jump over the fence and into Sabine's backyard. I immediately ran back home. Bertrand was already there. Evan called him the moment I went to the garden. I told them about the encounter, starting with my suspicions that it was just teens messing around, and then saying how mistaken I was. Evan started to panic. Bertrand told me to lock the doors and call Sabine to inform her that this person might still be in her backyard. He called the police. Half an hour later, two policemen arrived. They listened to my version of events, noted it down, walked around the backyard, then went to Sabine, who told them that she didn't notice anyone and didn't hear anything. And then they came back to us. They stated that it might have been teenagers messing around and on my comment that the stranger seemed to be a grown man, not a teen. The older policeman told me that not everyone is built as fragile as I. Their sheer ignorance made my blood boil. When they left, Bertrand tried to console Evan and me, saying that we can call him whenever something was wrong and that we could count on him. He mentioned that he was alone now too because Michael left the town for a business trip. He talked with us for some more time and then he went home. I went to bed, head full of bitter thoughts. Three houses, each one missing some tenants. 
perfect for a stranger with malicious intentions. The ignorant attitude of the policemen was also highly unnerving. I was more worried than scared and I couldn't fall asleep until the sunrise. The next two days were calm. It was raining all the time, so Evan and I had a very limited list of possible activities. He was playing video games and I drove to the town center to do some grocery shopping. On my way back, I saw Bertrand towing Sabine's car. Other than that, that day was as uneventful as it could be. That night, I was woken up by the sound of the doorbell. At first, I thought it was just a dream, but then I realized that someone really was at the door. It was Bertrand. He stumbled into the house, blew his dog behind him. He was panting heavily and trembling. He was in my house, he exclaimed. I felt a cold lump of fear in my abdomen, but tried not to panic. Bertrand was scared shitless, and I didn't want to make it worse. I locked the door and asked him to tell me what happened. He told me that he stopped taking diazepam since Michael was away and some strangers started walking around people's properties. That was why he was still awake at such a late hour. He was laying in bed when he heard the garage door being opened. Blue started growling. Bertrand heard footsteps, then someone pulling something from the shelves and loud noise when something, probably my husband's repair kit, Bertrand said, was dropped and all the metal parts hit the ground. He heard some more noise and he only sat on the bed listening. He was too scared to move and only prayed that whoever was in the garage wouldn't come to look for him. When I heard the garage door close, I was so relieved. I was sure I would be dead by the sunrise, you know, he said at the end. And even though I was happy that he was all right, I couldn't help but think about how weird it was. What was the logic of breaking into someone's house only to make a lot of noise and then go away without touching anything more valuable than what Bertrand suspected was a repair kit? I sat with him in the living room. Bertrand was so scared I could hear his heart pounding in his chest from where I was sitting. He tried to call his husband a few times, but apparently Michael was a heavy sleeper and didn't answer the call. He was very reluctant to go back to his house, so I offered to prepare the pullout for him. He asked me to stay with him till he fell asleep, but it turned out I dozed off on the pullout much quicker than him. I woke up at dawn with a very intense feeling. At first, I was laying without any movement, trying to pinpoint what was wrong. Then I realized I was being watched. My breath hitched. I moved my head slightly to take a look at the window. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a hooded man standing outside with his face and hands pressed to the glass. I didn't dare to move anymore. I was afraid he would try to get into the house and harm us if he saw me staring back at him. After a few moments... The feeling of being watched subdued. I moved my head to fully look at the window and saw no one was there. Bertrand was sleeping with his arm draped over me, but I managed to get up without waking him. I walked out of the house and noticed a path of fresh footsteps, starting from the fence on Bertrand's side and ending on Sabine's side with a circle of footsteps by the living room window. I walked around the whole property noticing that there were either footsteps in front of the house or behind it but they were in a straight line. Whoever that was, he had not even the slightest interest in the greenhouses or other buildings. When I walked into the house, I saw Bertrand sitting on the pullout crying with his phone in his hand. I ran over to him and tried to calm him down. I asked him what happened and he stuttered out that his husband called him screaming, that someone called him with a new rumor that Bertrand was sleeping with a younger guy. 
When I heard that, everything clicked into one place. Bertrand's husband wasn't a longtime citizen of our town, and he didn't have any friends there. If there was any rumor, he could only hear it from his own husband. I also remembered that Bertrand was towing Sabine's car the day before. It was broken, and the intruder walked into the garage to get the repair kit. I told him to stop crying and to come with me. He looked at me like I was crazy, but followed me outside. When we stopped under Sabine's front door, he looked at me with confusion, but I could see the cogs turning in his mind. I rang the doorbell, and after some time, Sabine opened the door. I asked her if she could tell Michael to stop walking across the lawn and trampling the grass. Also, would he be so dear as to stop making fake rumors? Her face was a perfect mix of shock and shame. So that only confirmed that I was right. Bertrand finally understood what was going on. He barged into the house and a few seconds later, he walked out with Michael trying to catch up to him, hastily putting his clothes on. So, uh, yeah, there was no life-threatening danger after all. It was just Michael ruining his marriage. It escalated pretty fast. Bertrand packed Michael's things and threw him out of the house. It was quite interesting to watch Michael, who always acted like he was above the whole town, begging his soon-to-be ex-husband for forgiveness. Bertrand didn't budge. So Michael, discouraged and hopeless, went to drown his sorrows in liquor. He visited the town pub for the first time since he moved in with Bertrand. And while drunk, he told everyone his made-up story that Bertrand was sleeping with me whenever he left the town. He didn't get any encouragement for cheating on his husband, but a few people believed the rumor. So for a moment, even I was a sensation of the town, and it wasn't good for me. I encountered a lot of unpleasant situations because of that, but that's a story for another time. We need to get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere. Disturbed is brought to you by Best Fiends, one of the best mobile puzzle games you will find. When I'm in the studio recording, I end up with a little bit of extra time either in between takes or editing. So what I found myself doing is grabbing my phone and knocking out a few levels of Best Fiends. It's a way for me to unplug and unwind and actually really helps me de-stress. I love it because I can jump in and play for a few minutes and then get right back into recording episodes of Disturbed. And one of my favorite things about Best Fiends is how each level gets just a little bit more difficult and challenging. It's an awesome way to keep your mind active and focused, and that's what I really love. I've been playing Best Fiends for probably close to six months now, and I've made it up to level 128. And trust me, I wouldn't keep mentioning Best Fiends if I didn't actually play it and love it. There's a reason it's rated as one of the best games in its category. I recommend it to my friends, and I have a few that I actually compete with to see who can get to a higher level faster. Anyone can download and play, and it doesn't matter if you only have a few minutes or you've got several hours. Best Fiends is the perfect puzzle game to lose yourself in because you're going to have a blast playing it. And with thousands of levels, yes, thousands, you can literally play as long as you want and never get bored. And you can trust me on that. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. 
You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy, and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Bill Huffman. And I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. Now back to the horror. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Sarah Colvin Ryder, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we wake up with someone in our home. I live alone in an apartment in Utah. My area is fairly metropolitan, and it's not uncommon to see unhoused people near my building. Since I'm a single woman, 20, I am usually more cautious about locking doors and setting alarms than my friends with roommates. I have a simple safe alarm system and also two deadbolt locks on my door. Because my area has lots of break-ins, I am also sure to always lock everything, no matter what. Two nights ago, I came home late from a night out with friends, but I was sober. I made sure to lock everything and set alarms like usual. When I woke up the next morning, I heard somebody in the house. They were wearing shoes and just walking around. One of my friends has a code to my alarm, but none of my friends have a key. I am the only person I know of with the key to the second deadbolt on my door. Not even my landlord. I leaned my head out the door of my bedroom, which is just a few feet from the more open living room slash kitchen area where the sound was coming from. There was a man in my kitchen. He was about six feet tall and maybe 40 years old. He was wearing a full suit and tie, but seemed really tired or drunk. He was standing by my fridge and eating leftovers out of Tupperware and just kind of staring. I ducked back into my room and called 911. For the next 10 minutes, I stood by my bedroom door and listened to this man eat a bunch of food from my fridge. When he was done with something, he would just drop the container to the floor. When the police showed up, both deadbolts were still locked. They knocked on the door, and the man in my apartment answered. The police rushed him and yelled if I was okay. When I came out of the bedroom, they had the man pinned to the floor, and I saw that he had rearranged the furniture in my living room. There were containers all over my floor. The man wasn't saying anything, and he never said anything, even when the police were asking him questions. After they took him away, the officer told me the man had business cards in his wallet, and he works at a bank downtown. The weirdest thing is that my alarm was set and my deadbolts were locked from the inside, 
even when he was in my apartment. None of the windows were unlocked, and I'm on the fourth floor, or open either. I have no idea how he got in. Are you listening alone? Rather brave of you. Next up is a listener voicemail from Sheridan, straight off the hotline, free and available to all listeners at disturbedpodcast.com hotline. And she's letting us know about a troubling experience in a shopping center. Sheridan, take it away. So this happened when I was around 13 years old. And I remember it was a Friday night and my parents had taken my little brother and I to the shopping center. We had dinner together, the four of us, and then I didn't really feel like hanging around with my parents and little brother all night. So my parents agreed that I was allowed to wander around by myself and have a look at some, you know, clothing shops, jewelry shops, that kind of thing while they were going off to do whatever they had to do. And we were to meet back at a certain time at a certain spot. So I was off, you know, looking at whatever I wanted to look at, um, window shopping mostly, and after a little while I was stopped by a woman who was in, you know, casual clothes. She told me that she was an undercover cop and that I was suspected of shoplifting. I hadn't shoplifted, of course, but because I was young, I was really terrified of the fact that I'd been accused of shoplifting. So I didn't ask her for ID or anything like that to confirm that she was a cop. It just didn't really occur to me that I could even do that. So she asked to look through my bag and I let her. So I just had a little handbag on me and I let her look through it and she sort of rifled through it and didn't find anything, obviously, because I hadn't stolen anything. I mean, the whole time I just kept telling her, I haven't stolen anything, you must have the wrong person. But she insisted that I had, basically. And after she'd looked through my bag, she asked me how old I was, who I was there with. Um, And then she asked me something that at the time I knew it wasn't right, But at the same time, I was still more worried about the fact that I'd been accused of shoplifting. And she asked me, she said, are your parents expecting you to go home with them tonight? And I said to her, I said, of course my parents are expecting me to go home with them tonight. You know, why wouldn't they be? It was just such an odd question. And this was all happening like sort of in the middle of, you know, this shopping center. There was people around, you know, it was nighttime, but it was obviously well lit. It was inside. So I wasn't like worried that I was in a dangerous situation here. At this point, this woman insisted that I had to follow her to get this sorted out. So I went with her and I was, you know, following her as she was walking through the crowds. And to anyone watching, it would have just, you know, she was probably the same age as my mom. So, you know, to anyone watching, it would have just been a daughter and her mom walking through the shopping center, not realizing what was going on. And as we're walking, she sort of started leading me towards an exit, basically. And as we were heading there, somehow by the absolute grace of God, I don't know, but we bumped into my dad. He asked me what was going on, you know, why are you with this strange woman? What's happening? And I explained to him the situation. And as I did so, so I was talking to my dad, insisting to him that I hadn't shoplifted because, again, that was my biggest concern at this point, that everyone thought that I'd stolen something. And as I was talking to my dad, this woman got on her phone or pretended to get on her phone, I don't know, and she was talking to someone and she was saying to them, oh, is this, this isn't the right girl. So the way it looked to us was that she was talking to someone who she could see and who could see us, but I don't know who it was in this big crowd of people. And then basically she turned to us and said, 
sorry, wrong person, and then she just disappeared into the crowd. And like before we could even really react. So my dad and I were just looking at each other like, what just happened? And I, again, was still more worried about that about the fact that he thought I was shoplifting. And by this time, my mum had walked over to where we were standing and she hadn't seen the interaction with the woman. But when I explained to her what had happened, she was really concerned. She was not happy about the way that I'd been treated by this woman. And she also knew that something wasn't right here. But I don't think either of us at that time knew how bad that situation could have been. So it was getting late at this point. The shops were starting to close. So we went home. And then the next day, my mum took me back to the shopping centre and we went and spoke to centre management. So they sort of oversee the whole sort of shopping centre, basically. And my mum said to the woman who was working there, you know, I'm really unhappy with the way that an undercover cop in the shopping centre treated my daughter last night. And before she could even tell her the story of what had happened, the woman looks at my mum and me and she's like, we don't have any undercover cops working in the shopping centre. And mum and I looked at each other and I think it was at that moment we sort of realised... You know, it sort of all came together and we realised exactly what was happening and how bad this situation could have been. And that was that. That was sort of the end of the whole situation, to be honest. I can't remember. It was a long, long time ago now, so I can't remember if my mum ever thought to report it onto someone else or anything like that. But as far as I know, nothing ever came of it. And in the years since, you know, now that I've grown up, I, I think back on it quite a lot because I don't know what they were this woman and whoever her accomplice was, whether she had one, I don't know, but I don't know what they had been planning for me. Had she gotten me outside of that shopping center, but I have to assume it wasn't good. And I really thank my lucky stars that we bumped into my dad when we did, because had we not, I absolutely would have followed her outside that shopping center and not even thought twice about it, to be honest, because I didn't know how dangerous this situation was until later on. In the years since, I have looked up you know, just Google searches, looking at local news articles to see if there was ever any young girls taken from that shopping centre or any young girls that have been missing in that area or anything like that around that same time. Thus far, I've found nothing. So it remains a mystery. Very troubling indeed. And a good reminder to always try to verify that someone is who they say they are, if possible. It might take a little extra effort, but definitely worth it for safety reasons. Thanks for the message. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user CherryBXB, featuring voice work by Rhiannon Mauschall. And we try to figure out what was outside the house. So I live in a rural place and in a heavily wooded area. I've always felt totally safe in the woods, even at night. I used to go for night walks all the time. I'm not really a skeptic. I do believe in some paranormal things, though I've never had an experience until this one. Regardless, I still always try to find the most logical explanation, and I don't feel scared or unnerved by things. This experience, however, really freaked me out and I've been thinking about it ever since it happened, so I thought I'd share. So this was a few weeks ago. My parents had gone to bed, but I wanted to stay up late, so I settled into the living room to read. Our living room has these giant windows almost covering the entire wall. I left the blinds open and turned on one lamp and sat right by the window. My elderly dog, who had been let out already to go to the bathroom for the night and was back inside, 
started pacing the house and barking and wouldn't settle down. This is unlike her. She's super old, so she usually goes right to bed, and she knows not to bark in the house like that. We let her out again, and she wanted right back in. We gave her some food, and still, for about an hour, she kept pacing and barking. She wasn't even barking at the windows or looking outside. She just paced up and down the halls and barked at nothing in particular. This kind of weirds me out, but I just shrugged it off, and then she finally settled down to sleep in my parents' bedroom. About 20 minutes later, I am reading on the couch by the window with my cat when I hear an animal walking outside. I only hear it take a few steps. It sounded large and I figured it was probably a deer. My cat jumps up and acts super interested in what's outside, pacing up and down the windowsill and peering out there. Then, after a few minutes, the screen of the window furthest from me across the room starts shaking violently like something is shaking or banging on it really hard. Again, these windows span the whole wall. It startled me and I looked over. I couldn't make anything out in the dark or see what was outside. And then the shaking and banging grew even more violent and the windows next to me started shaking too. My cat freaked out and ran out of the room. At this point, I was really scared and I did something you'll probably think is kinda silly. I literally closed my eyes and threw the blanket over my head and waited for it to stop. The shaking and banging lasted for several more seconds. I remember being taken aback at how much force seemed to be behind it. I just couldn't bring myself to look. I had an awful feeling and I think if I looked and saw something horrible, it would really traumatize me. It finally stopped and I stayed under the blanket for two entire hours before I could work up the nerve to get up and go to my bedroom. The next morning after I'd woken up, I'd calmed down a lot and figured it was probably some kind of animal. I went outside to go and look at the window to see if I could find tracks or something and look at the screens. What I found made my skin crawl. There was a single long diagonal slash in the window screen of the window I was sitting right next to. If you are standing in front of where the slash is and looking inside, the slash aligns right over the spot I was sitting. So, that's creepy as fuck. And what's weird to me is if it were an animal, why weren't there more slashes? Just one single deliberate slash is strange. There were absolutely no scratch marks or slashes anywhere else on the screens or around the windows. Just that one. The other screens were just pretty loose now. If it was a bird, I would have heard wings flapping. I feel like I would have heard animal sounds if it were any kind of animal. If it was a person, which is even scarier to me, I would think someone who would do something like this would have taken it further and probably would have done more to scare and intimidate me than just shaking some windows and slashing one and then leaving it behind. Besides the shaking and banging, there were absolutely no other sounds. And since we live rurally, the chance that it was a person seems more unlikely. It freaks me the fuck out, but there's nothing I can really do about it other than put up trail cams. Nothing like this has ever happened to me the entire time I've lived here. A few nights before this happened, I actually started feeling some bad vibes from the woods at night, to be honest. Like I said, I am normally very at ease with them, but I was out smoking a few nights before in my backyard and just felt like I was being watched and something was just making my skin crawl. And I had been avoiding going outside at night again, and then 
this happened. This experience really kind of freaked me out, but there is not much I can do except put up some cameras. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. If you'd like to get your story on the show, check out our submission options at disturbedpodcast.com. Share your thoughts on the show or your own experience through our hotline at disturbedpodcast.com slash hotline. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters. Georgette, April Patchak, Nia, Harley, Bullet Jackson, Christina H., Krista, and Juana Serrano. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases. And you can too. Patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.